Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We are uh, continuing our journey in this story. This is chapter 25, and I hope you're reading along in the books, uh, the story, or following through the scriptures that are assigned for each week. As you can see in the DVD this morning, there's a lot of ground that we could cover. I'm just going to focus on one part of it today, and it is the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we'll be looking primarily at Matthew 16 and what is told there. But let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for this morning. As we come to your word, Lord, help us to put aside maybe the the cares of the week or the things that are coming up even later today and to just really listen to what your word has to say. Father, these uh, passages of scripture, these stories of Jesus are just so awesome, so powerful. When you think about his life, his ministry, his teaching, the miracles that he performed, and ultimately his death and resurrection, there is no one like him. And Father, I pray that you would guide us as we walk through the scriptures this morning. In your son's name, amen. The question of Jesus' identity is the central question of the Gospels. And you see that more and more as you go through and you look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus himself is the one who really presses people on this and puts it in front of them. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we read that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, what's interesting is that Caesarea Philippi was uh, a very appropriate place to ask a question like that. Caesarea Philippi is located far north of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the slopes of the Mount Hermon uh, chain there, and it's a a town that's settled in that area at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, It was originally called Panias or Panino, Uh, Those were names given to it because uh, in Greek mythology, they believed that this was the home of the Greek god Pan. And uh, so he was worshipped in that area. But uh, Panina was also a home of uh, Baal worship. The Canaanites practiced that there. This was outside of Jewish territory. And in the current setting in which Jesus was there, it was known as Caesarea Philippi. And also in that city then, it was a Roman city, and Caesar was worshipped as God. And so you can think of Caesarea Philippi uh, was to religion what Walmart is to shopping. I mean, you can find just about anything there, you know. And you, you could pick out your God that you wanted to worship. And there would be an idol or a statue that you could go to and make your prayers or offerings or whatever you wanted. And so it's to this city then that Jesus takes his disciples. Now, we are getting closer and closer to the time when Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. And he will suffer at the hands of the men that are there who want to put him to death. And he will die for our sins. And here he takes them, you know, and I'm thinking of how far a distance this is when they walked on foot to go that far north before he would go to Jerusalem. He was very intentional in what he was doing. And so when, when Jesus took his disciples there and asked them the question, who do people say I am? 
there was a flurry of responses from the disciples. They kind of each threw out some answers, you know. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And some say, you know, you're Elijah. Or some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And, and they were just throwing out like popcorn, you know, all these answers right there on, on who people say you are. And then Jesus asked them directly, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Wow. That's the question that Jesus asks all of us. It's the question that ultimately we all must answer. Who is Jesus? Now, how do you answer a question like that? Well, uh, today, you know, you could do a search on Google. And you could type in, you know, who is Jesus and push the button. I did that this week just to see what would come up, you know. And I, there were 896 million results. You know, you check that little bar up there. 896 million different responses to that question. That, wow, this is going to take a long time in sermon prep this week, you know, if you go through all of those. No. And some of those sites are helpful, but many are not. And you see that there's this broad range of answers that are given. Uh, you can also go to YouTube, you know, and you can type in who is Jesus. And there are videos out there where people have interviewed and asked questions, you know, uh, who is Jesus. And you'll get this broad range of answers from people who think, you know, he's a good man, a philosopher, a teacher, to no, he's my Lord and Savior. Again, just, just a broad range of responses. Or you could go to the New Testament and you could read the original source of material about Jesus and decide for yourself who do you think Jesus is. And that's what we're going to do today. What I'd like us to do is to consider some of the options when it comes to answering the question, who is Jesus, and take a look at what the Scripture says about each of those. Okay, one of the answers that people give to that question is that Jesus is a good man. That's, that's probably the most common answer you would get from people if you asked about who is Jesus. There's a whole lot of people who would say Jesus is a good man. And uh, they would say he's a good teacher, he's a religious leader, he was a wise man, uh, I liked his life, he was concerned about the poor, he's the guy that gave us the golden rule, uh, he was a friend of those that were oppressed. I like him. And there's a lot of people who would feel that way. Uh, just uh, recently, Gail and I, uh, over spring break, we went away and um, on the flight down to Florida, I'm sitting next to a man who, uh, you know, has come in at the end of the week, he's going back home, you know, he's been up here working and he's going back and he just wanted to kind of relax, but he was chatty. And so um, I'm talking to him and the conversation turns to spiritual things. And I always find it interesting how uh, often when I'm working on a sermon, God brings things into my week that relate to the message. And so I'm having this conversation with him, and he's the one who brought it up kind of interestingly, you know. And he found out I was a pastor, and so he wanted to talk about some spiritual things. And he said, you know, I like Jesus. He goes, you know, I think he was a really, really good philosopher. I like his, his thoughts, you know, about life, but not so much that stuff about the resurrection, his death and resurrection. And I said, well, that's that's interesting. I said, why would you want to separate Jesus and his teaching from his death and resurrection? And he didn't really have an answer for that. And he said to me, well, why, why do you put those together? Why is it important to put those together? And I said, you know, for Jesus' ministry, 
His death and his resurrection was really the exclamation point on everything that he did. It was the proof of who he claimed to be. I mean, if he had claimed all of these things, because Jesus didn't claim to just be, you know, a good man. He claimed to be God's Son, our Savior. And his death and resurrection are absolutely essential to the message. Well, this guy sitting next to me, you know, he didn't really want to buy that. He just wanted to keep Jesus in a box as a good man because if he's just a good man, well, then I don't really have to do everything that he said. Because I can keep him there sort of safe and contained, but if he's Lord and God, then I need to change my life, and I'm not willing to do that. And I think there are many people like that. But let's take a look at how Jesus would answer that question. I mean, is he just a good man, or is he more than that? Well, Jesus' favorite designation for himself was the title Son of Man. And in the Gospels, it shows up 80 times, and 79 of those are where Jesus himself is referring to himself as the Son of Man. They're in places like Luke 9, 58, where he says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Or Luke 9, 22, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Or Mark 16, 26, one day you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with all the angels with him. You know, and so this title, Son of Man, is used frequently by Jesus. And to us, the title, Son of Man, may sound humble, but to every Jew who heard that in that setting, it was a claim to be God. It was a claim to be God. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'd like to read it for us. In that passage, Daniel's talking about what's going to come in the future. And he said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel was talking about this one, the Son of Man who would come, the Ancient of Days being God the Father, the Son of Man being God's Son, the Messiah, who would come one day in the future to establish his kingdom upon the earth, who would be worshipped by all men, and whose kingdom would never end. So when you hear the Son of Man in that context, it takes on a different meaning. And not only that... Would Jesus call himself the Son of Man? But this good man, Jesus, kept referring to himself as God in many other ways also. In John's Gospel, for example, John records seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself. And you're familiar with those, but it's good to see them. He said, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And those statements come out of context, you know, in the Old Testament where you think of the bread of the life, uh, the manna that God provided for them in the wilderness, and now Jesus is saying, I am that bread of life. Or the Old Testament that talked about how God is light, and now Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. 
or I'm the door, I am the way to heaven. I mean, he says that in a few different ways up there. Or I'm the true vine, Israel was the vine, and now he's saying, no, that I am God's true son. Wow. But even that phrase, I am, I am, I am, as he repeated it, was rich with meaning. In John's gospel, he also records three other significant I am statements that Jesus made. For example, in John 8, 24, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So, okay, this question of who is Jesus takes on a new meaning when he says, you know, unless you really believe that I'm the one that I say I am, you're going to die in your sins. It's not our opinion, our thoughts that, you know, we can get away with and say he's this or that or that. No, the question comes down to who did Jesus say he is? And he said in John 8, 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. So Jesus is saying something about his death and resurrection. When I am crucified and lifted up again, then you will know. There it is. That will be this final, ultimate proof that I am the one I claim to be. And then John 8, 58, same context. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And the Jews took up stones to stone him because Jesus, a man, was claiming to be God. He was taking this title that was reserved for God alone. You see, I am, where have we heard that before in our study in the story? I am was the name God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked him, who should I tell the Israelites that you are? Who should I say has sent me? And God said, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God described himself, gave him the name I am or Yahweh, that I am the eternally existing one. The one who has always been here, always will be, who is present with you now. And what does the scripture say of Jesus? It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. Now you look at that and you think of the other statements Jesus made. I mean, Jesus claimed to forgive sins. He claimed to be greater than Jonah, greater than Abraham, greater than Solomon, greater than John the Baptist. And he had said of John the Baptist, I tell you that among those born of men, there's no one greater than John. And yet he claims to be greater than John. He claims to be greater than the temple, greater than the Sabbath. I mean, you can just go through and pick all of these things out. And what sort of man says those things? That doesn't sound like someone who is just a good man, an ordinary man. But over and over again, Jesus claimed to be God. So another answer that people give about Jesus, they look at that and some might say, well, he was crazy, he was nuts. Or that Jesus is a fool. They don't want to believe what he said and so they'll think that, well, maybe he was just crazy or mentally disturbed. Uh, You know, and if you have seen some of the movies that come out on occasion in Hollywood, not all of them, some are good, some are bad, but when you look at some of the movies on how they portray Jesus, You kind of feel like he's this ethereal person just floating through the scene and he's not a real person, a real Jesus. 
God incarnate who came to live among us and who understands our needs. The Bible gives us a very different picture. He was fully man, but he is also fully God. And when you look at his life, if you think of this question, Jesus is a fool, yet when you look at his life and teaching, he doesn't look like a megalomaniac like Hitler or Stalin. He doesn't look or sound like someone who's insane. You know, I mean, if we had someone walk into our church today who claimed to be Jesus and who walked in, or maybe you have been to hospitals where there are people who think that they are Jesus. I mean, you can recognize the difference. You could, you know, see and and take a look at that and, you know, say, here's a person making these big claims, but I'm not sure he's mentally stable. When you look at Jesus and you look at his teaching and you look at the miracles he performed, there's no one like him. When the people heard Jesus teach, they said they had never heard someone teach like him with authority, with power, like he did. No one spoke like Jesus. When he taught from the scriptures, he didn't say, you know, I think it is this way, or we, we sort of believe this way, or the commentators say this. Jesus spoke. And he answered the questions. And he said what God said. He taught with authority and not as their teachers and scribes. And when you look at Jesus' life, people were drawn to Jesus by his love and by the power of his teaching. And they saw this man who had this great compassion, but they knew that there was something different about Jesus, that he was, he was more than a man. Who could do the kinds of things that he did? I mean, we don't have anyone, even those who may claim that they have a gift of healing, we don't have anyone like Jesus who can walk into, say, a hospital and heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, turn water into wine, multiply loaves and fishes, calm the wind and the waves, raise the dead to life. In fact, in John's Gospel, along with those seven I am statements that Jesus made, John also records seven miracles. The Gospel of John's really neatly laid out with all of these things that he emphasizes and seven being the perfect number, a number of deity as well. You've got all these kinds of things in there. What are those seven miracles that uh, John records? Go ahead and put them up. He talked about changing water into wine, the first miracle he performed at the wedding in Cana, healing the royal official's son who came to him, healing a paralytic, feeding the 5,000 where he multiplied the loaves and fishes, walking on water to the disciples, healing the blind man. I mean, that was considered to be a messianic miracle. Raising Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and here he does all of these kinds of things. You see, it's one thing to claim to be God and it's quite another thing to back it up by the miracles that you perform. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did these signs and John recorded them so that we might believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, our Savior. Well, thirdly, some people look at that and they want to say, well, I think the whole thing's a fraud and I think Jesus is a fraud. They question the reliability of scriptures, but if you will take the time to look at the text that we have been given and to, you know, look at the work that's been done that establishes the authority and reliability of Scripture. 
Uh, if you throw out the Bible, you'd have to throw out everything in ancient history. You'd have to throw out many of the great works that people loved and appreciated by other authors because there is far more evidence to support the scriptures than any other book in ancient history. There are the prophecies that are fulfilled. There are the testimony of those who are eyewitnesses. And so it all comes back and you, and you go, well, Jesus is a fraud? I mean, really? You think he was a liar and a deceiver? Do you really think that Jesus is somebody who just tricked all of these people and who led them as blind followers just right over a cliff? You know, if he was a huckster, he wasn't very good at it because he never made a profit or took a penny for his miraculous works. It wasn't like some who claim, you know, that if you do this or if you give so much money, you know, then we'll do this for you. Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus died in poverty, and he died on a cross alone, surrounded by two thieves who were crucified with him. Jesus never performed miracles to merely draw a crowd or to call attention to himself. And the people who followed him did so out of love. They looked at his life. They saw the compassion, the power, the authority. They followed this man. And for those who would place their faith in him and followed his teaching, he made them better people. There was a change that took place in their life as well. And throughout history, people have commented on the life of Jesus and the difference that he was. Even Napoleon made this comment about Jesus. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. And Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Even someone like Napoleon recognized a difference in the followers of Jesus versus the empire that he tried to create and hold together. Philip Schaff, the historian, said that this Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since. And he produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. There's no one like Jesus. One of the greatest testimonies to the truthfulness of Jesus is the explosion of the New Testament church. I mean, within a generation, the gospel was taken all over the Mediterranean and even as far to the east as India. And it continued to grow and spread, changing lives, changing our world. And when you consider the impact he has made, if you have come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you think of the change that he made in your life, as he made you a better person, 
Has he changed your heart and your attitudes and your thoughts? Has he made any difference in your relationships with other people or in your marriage if you're married? I would certainly hope so. And that all of us would say we would be a far different person today if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, what are we left with then? You've heard the opinions of others who think that Jesus is just a good man or maybe he was a fool or maybe he was a fraud. But the fourth choice we have is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord and God. That Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. And I look at this passage in, in Matthew's gospel when the disciples asked them, I mean, when Jesus asked the disciples, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter answered Jesus' question for all of us when he said that. That you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And I like the emphasis on living. In Caesarea Philippi, again, going back to that setting, there is this place where there is this cave where uh, Pan was worshipped and where sacrifices were made. And you can see the char and the smoke. And you can see all around it where this city was or these niches carved into the rock where there would have been idols or shrines that people would have worshipped. All these dead gods. All these gods carved out of stone and images made in the likeness of man or creatures or other, other beings. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. God lives. God isn't someone that we can fashion into an image, but God is the God who made the heavens and the earth. And he is alive, and so is his son, Jesus. And Jesus replied to Peter, and he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This is the work of God's grace. We don't come to Jesus by our own intelligence and try to figure this all out on our own. God speaks to us, when his Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the truth of God's word. And it is a marvelous work of grace where where when that happens, we're reading the scriptures or we're hearing the gospel preached and you sense the Holy Spirit in your heart saying, this is truth. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior. And our eyes are open, we see him for who he is and we turn in repentance and we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord and we are changed. It's a marvelous thing and it is a work of God's grace. Have you experienced that in your heart? Have you come to know Jesus in that kind of personal way where you know he lives in you? Or from this point on, Jesus would make it very clear what was going to happen to him when they went to Jerusalem. He wanted the disciples to follow him there, and he told them very clearly what was going to happen, and we read about it in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. 
That's a pretty specific prediction, isn't it, of what's going to happen. He told them before they went exactly what would happen, and they struggled with that. In fact, in this setting, Peter took them aside and said, Never, Lord. I mean, this just did not fit their understanding of who the Messiah would be and what would happen when the Messiah came. They thought the Messiah would overthrow the Romans or establish Israel as the great nation once again. They didn't understand that this time the Messiah had come to die for our sins, that we might be forgiven and that we might live. And so Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Jesus asks all of us that question. Who do you say I am? And what is your response to Jesus? How would you answer that? You know, as C.S. Lewis, the professor at Cambridge, who put together his famous statement that's called the Great Trilemma. And he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. You know, several years ago, Larry King was asked in an interview uh, by Bryant Gumbel. He asked him, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And Larry King said, I would ask him. Did you really have a son? Because if you did, it would make all the difference. Larry, God did have a son. And he sent him to earth to be our savior. And he died on a cross for your sins and mine. And when we place our faith in him and ask him to forgive our sins and to be our savior and Lord, it changes everything. Who do you say I am? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, for those of us who know you as our Savior and Lord, even to hear these truths that we have heard many times before just warms our heart and fills us with wonder and praise at who you are, Jesus, and what you did for us. Your great love, your willingness to take upon yourself our sins and die in our place. But maybe there's someone today who's here or listening online and You've never made that commitment to Jesus and you're just considering what I shared this morning from the scriptures. And maybe today's the day that you want to come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. 
Would you just quietly in your heart pray this prayer after me? But Lord Jesus, I need you. And I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I open my heart and I invite you to come in to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Lord Jesus, help me to know you better and to follow your will for my life. I pray this in your name. Amen.